da 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 Cult leader N coming here with a new podcast. So I was on stereo this morning. And I was trying to find someone to talk to. And of course, nobody wanted to talk to me because everyone's busted. But um, I'm coming to you today about cryptocurrency, guys. Oh, my God. I just got into it maybe like, you know, two, three weeks ago. And let me tell you, it's an exciting landscape. And I, you know, want to give people a little crash course, a little introduction. Um, yeah, so that's what we're going to be talking about today is cryptocurrency and its ecosystem. Let's get into it. Welcome, 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 welcome. Today's podcast about cryptocurrency. Guys, I'm obsessed. <laughs> so, you know, disclaimer in the front um, crypto- cryptocurrency and its, you know, marketplace is high risk, high reward. Do not put all your money into it. Start small, get a feel of the landscape. It's really, really important not to think this is a get-rich-quick scheme, because it's literally not. Um, It's exactly like stocks. There's really not much of a difference. I mean, there's a difference, and I'll get into that. But, like, basically think of it like, you know, there's a company, a new company, and it's a startup, and there's potentially, you know, a huge opportunity. Maybe it'll go up by, like, 300%, right? You'll go from, like, a cent um, to $3, um, for the stock, but also it could fail or it could go up that high and then drop right back down. So with any sort of thing, my personal, um, perspective is, um, long-term investing rather than short-term. Um, and I think that the best way to actually make money is long-term investing, um, for instance, the S&P 500 is what I generally invest in. I don't even, you know, find different stocks. I don't even do any of that. I just invest in um, an index, which is S&P 500. But anyway, I digress from that. So the first thing that is kind of most understood is that um, is most understood is stocks, right? Stocks are a company that goes public, and people can, you know, invest in the company, um, you know, however much money they want. And then based on how the company does, the stock will go up and down accordingly. So take that concept and apply it to the crypto space. So in cryptocurrency, it's almost like early internet. It's a wild, wild west. It is not very secure all the time. You know, someone could come and take your money. So that's why, you know, want to be clear about that. It's not like, you know, the stock market that is a pretty safe investment in terms of your money's not going to get stolen. So <clears throat> in the crypto space, of course, you know, they have safeguards. There are, you know, companies like Coinbase and others. Uh, Robinhood's another one. Uh, Cash App is another one. Where basically they've made uh, investing in crypto more accessible. However, you know, these aren't safe bets. Uh, they have their protections, but, you know, nothing is guaranteed. And I guess the same in the stock market or in investing, 
nothing is guaranteed, but Vanguard, for instance, which is a broker in the stock market, they have uh, a safeguard where if you lose, uh, if they lose your money, then you're guaranteed up to, let's say, 250K, which would cover most people. So uh, Coinbase <clears throat> and in the crypto space in general, they don't have those guarantees uh, necessarily. Of course, I don't really know their policies, but that's kind of the presumption, the assumption, excuse me, I um, operate under. So, you know, I kind of compared crypto space with the stock market. Now, the crypto space is based on a technology called blockchain. So blockchain is, uh, you know, kind of like a computer coding mathematical way of storing data. So blockchain, if you think of little tiny blocks that are connected together, essentially each block is a piece of data. So let's say I give you $2. There'd be a coded way of taking that transaction and putting it in, you know, in code that can't be changed or edited. So, you know, I give you $2, that's a block. You give that $2 to Sally, another block. Sally gives me back 50 cents, another block. So essentially all those transactions have been tracked and co uh, coded and then hard-coded into this blockchain. And that is, is essentially the technology that uh, the crypto market is based on. So you can have those blocks be about any sort of data. It could be files, it could be um, you know, some sort of transaction like you know, uh, art. You could have a one block be art. Um, it, anything that you can be stored um, over, anything that's data that can be stored can be, the technology of blockchain can be used for it. So you know, a lot of, there's a lot of companies uh, you know, IBM, um, big players that use uh, blockchain for uh, for uh, logistics, and you know they use these blocks, blockchain, this blockchain technology to track you know the operations of logistics. So to see where a point of failure is, each different location is a block, and the blockchain is. Um, all that data put into the record. So you can think of, so you can think of multiple, sorry, I just got a text. Uh, you can think about, so you can think about blockchain as a permanent ledger that can't be changed. It can only be added to. So something that has been put into the blockchain and another block has gone in front of it, it's permanent. Once it goes into the chain, it's a permanent uh, recorded transaction. So that's the potential draw. Additionally, the people who create the blocks are called miners. They do the computational mathematical uh, work that takes a lot of electricity, a lot of computing powder, pow powder, power, and 
they are called miners. And what they do, like I said, is they put it, uh, they, they, you know, make these blocks. Uh, the, a big difference from this to traditional finance and investing is that it's completely decentralized. So no one owns the blockchain, right? No one owns this technology. No one owns this implementation. They are just adding to the existing blockchain. So what that does is it, you know, the claim is that lowers risk because, you know, a miner doesn't own the whole network or they own the whole blockchain. A miner can just add to it and they get paid for that service. So when you do a transaction, you, you pay a miner and they add that block to the blockchain. So it's decentralized essentially. And that has a big draw versus traditional banking because if you're in an area where you know there's a failed banking system, a failed governance, then you can invest in cryptocurrency you can invest in uh, you know, blockchain type technology and it's not centralized in your government, right? It's centralized, it's decentralized across the world. So they call it DeFi, um, decentralized finance. Now, so you have that blockchain technology. I explained that and now we're gonna move on to how that technology is implemented. Um, and this kind of is the, the start point of decentralized finance of the crypto market, and those are called protocols. So let's get started on protocols. I'm experimenting with making these different sections so I can say organize and you know telling you guys about cryptocurrency. But now we're going to get into protocols, okay? So we have the blockchain technology, and that is what this crypto market's based on. Protocols. So a protocol is different versions of the blockchain technology implementation. So the first major one was Bitcoin that was popular. All right, so Bitcoin is a protocol. And I'm going to use Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Stellar as three examples of protocols. And there's a ton. There's also NEO. There's also Dash. So the list goes on. Ethereum and Bitcoin are the most popular. Then, you know, it kind of peters off from there. So what a protocol is, like I said, is a different implementation, different implementations of the blockchain. And for example, Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a protocol and it essentially allows for decentralized finance, transactions that are hard-coded that can't be changed and, you know, are a ledger. So one question I always kind of run into is why is there, like, where's the money coming from? My hypothesis is that like any sort of system of trade, like money, 
um, or the barter system or using gold coins or using, you know, a valuable resource as a currency, the value is what people make it. <laughs> so the same thing with stocks, right? Who's saying this company's worth a billion dollars? I don't know. So I think that the best way to understand why the crypto market is worth something is because people value it because of whether it's the idea, the innovation of the specific protocol or of the blockchain technology itself. People say, hey, I want to put my stock in this. I think it's a safer bet in terms of storing my money. You know, I don't have to rely on the government um, and it's unchangeable. I am safe here. <laughs> so the, the, the value for each protocol, like Bitcoin, for example, comes from its popularity as a, tr as a thing of commerce. So for example, if Bitcoin is picked up as a global currency that's decentralized, then then Bitcoin's value will go up exponentially because you can use it now as, as like, you know, USD or as the Euro or as the peso, right? But at this moment, the crypto space is not integrated with localized finance, right? It's still hard uh, for the average consumer to say, okay, I want 10, like, I want, you know, a Bitcoin. It still isn't working like that. And it's not stable, right? So Bitcoin, the price has gone up and down. There's been highs and lows. There's been, you know, booms and crashes. We're currently in a boom right now. So the value is not stable, at least for these protocols. Again, Remember that blockchain technology and protocols are implementation of the technology that have a certain way of doing things. So Bitcoin, it, the, proto, the, the protocol is just, you know, we're going to do a blockchain technology and we're going to use it for decentralized finance. So the other protocol, Ethereum, formerly or generally known as ETH, is another protocol. Now, Ethereum and Bitcoin are different because Ethereum is not uh, just a coin. It is a network. So Ethereum is more like a browser. You can invest in the browser. Let's say it's like Chrome. And then there's tokens, you know, coins, tokens, you know, uh, lions, tigers, bears, oh my. But the protocols have coins and anything built on those protocols are called tokens, but I'm gonna get to that. So Ethereum is like a browser and on that, you know, on that code, which is the protocol, you can build different utilities, different products that use blockchain technology. So, you know, Ethereum and Bitcoin had different visions of blockchain technology. 
Bitcoin was like, here's decentralized finance. It's just one coin. And Ethereum's like, no, we can do a network. So we can have people build things on Ethereum and we can have a coin as well. And people invest in the coin because it's a service or utility. And here it starts getting interesting, right? Uh-oh. Now we're starting to get a foundation of a market, right? So, you know, in the in government or in, you know, the public space, let's see, in America, we have utilities, right? So we have, you know, these different needs we have and they're being met by, okay, we need water. So there's like, you know, public, public, like the public, We have public water cleaning systems. Then we have the firefighters, the police, uh uh-oh, electricity networks, railroads, roads. So these are all utilities in a way that help give us our needs. So take that idea and start translating to the protocols I'm talking about, Ethereum, Bitcoin, these are, you know, kind of a, a, a u- utilization of a technology that's building its own marketplace, that's building, its, that's kind of filling out its own needs. So different protocols can meet different needs. So, you know, Ethereum saw the need of, okay, we think that people should be able to make tokens on our tech, on our protocol. And then we will be valued based on that network. And you have other people who value different things, right? Ethereum, Bitcoin, both are having super high transaction fees. So it is to add a block to the blockchain. It costs like, you know, from anywhere from like a dollar to $15. Oh, too expensive. As a decentralized finance, that has its drawbacks, right? I don't want to have to, if I only have $10, I don't have to use like 10 of it just to get a block. So that's where other other, uh, providers come in, like Stellar, which I was talking about. Now, Stellar is centralized finance too. And what Stellar does that Ethereum and Bitcoin don't is it's scalable. So there's higher there's a higher ability for transactions per second. And to have these transactions happen, the cost is infinitely lower. So, you know, a miner would charge for the Ethereum network or the or Bitcoin, they would charge, let's say it's $10 per transaction to you know, make a block. For Stellar, that cost is 0.001 cent or 0.001 lumen, which is the Stellar coin. So clearly that's an improvement. So now I can say, you know, I'm an investor. I can say, I like this idea of Stellar. And I think Stellar can make a better ecosystem and, you know, build tokens on the ecosystem 
and it can be successful in the real world because if I want to send money to the Philippines as a business, as an individual, I can use Stellar, convert my local currency for this, have that transaction fee be low, you know, send my lumens to the Philippines, which again is a low transaction, and then have it received in the Philippines and change into the currency there. Again, another low transaction. So if you're going to do that by current methods, it's going to take a few days. It's going to be high cost versus this technology and the implemented protocol, Seller, which can do that transaction in seconds and at low cost. So from my vantage point, at least, I like that idea because I'm like, businesses love that. Right? You can just transfer money around. Maybe you want to have the most, uh, you want to have the location in the Philippines as your headquarters because there's low taxes. Right? I don't even get into it. Capitalism is terrible. But that's how the system is currently. That's a potential draw. So, you know, we have these different protocols. And they all have their viewpoint of what's important. Bitcoin was just like, we're going to have a protocol. One coin, which is the Bitcoin. Forget about anything else. We're not doing it. Ethereum was like, oh, I think that we can be utility that people build on. And we can be the protocol and have a code that people can build on to our network. So now basically there's program programmers that can build on the Ethereum network. And what I think is so fascinating about this is that like, and I tried to kind of explain it earlier, but it's like its own marketplace. It's its own entity, right? So it's, it's almost like there's, a, there's like, you know, an imaginary space where we're building a world, right? In this world, you have this technology or you have this foundation. And on that foundation, you're building a marketplace, right? Oh, in this marketplace, we need to have fast transactions. Okay, someone makes, tech, makes a protocol for that. And they're like, whoa, wait, 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 hold up, hold up a second. We actually need a way to in, like to get interest and trade and you know get more value out of this network, Ethereum network. Okay, there's another thing that pops up. So decentralized finance is making its own ecosystem. And I think that's really, really compelling for the future of finance. Because another metaphor I use is almost like when you had cash and checks and you move to credit cards, right? The technology was credit cards, I guess. And then you had like Visa, MasterCard, Discover, and probably others I don't know about when this change started happening. And they were early actors and there's probably many others that you know died out. And they, where the you know came into the came into the game, started using this technology and implementing it, and then banks hopped on it and said, okay, now we're gonna make a 
credit card on your protocol, right? On your on your network. So we're you know, Citizens Bank has a credit card on Visa or Mastercard. So that's what's happening here. It's the same like trajectory. You have this slower process, um, and the process of is being improved upon, but still not adopted. But now credit cards are and credit cards and debit cards, and now you know Apple Pay on your phone. That's the same technology getting better and faster, but still you have this, you know, conglomerate around it, which is finance, right? The banking industry, and there are weaknesses in that. And crypto is essentially saying we can do all of that, but decentralized, but global and faster. And right now it's early adoption phase. Right, it's early credit cards, it's early internet. And it's still early. They're still trying to just figure out what protocol can use the blockchain most effectively. How, how can we build something that will be the next credit card? Something that can be a bank, a credit card, a debit card, um, an exchange for different currencies. How can we do it? And the protocols, and there's numerous, are all doing it a little bit differently. And who knows who will be the discoverer? Who knows who will be the mascot or the visa? We don't. And that's the exciting part about it and the interesting reason to invest. You could do $10, right? It doesn't have to be a lot of money. But, like, it's super, super compelling. And you can be, we can be a part of that early adoption and see all of a sudden, oh my God, I can use Stellar at my local grocery store. And that's where this could go. So now let's get into the tokens, which I kind of touched on, but I want to continue building this like new marketplace, uh, decentralized finance metaphor. Um, that you have these kind of base utilities and now people are building more specialized utilities or, you know, utilities in their own right for this new marketplace, for this new tech, for this new um, improved technology. Oh my God, tokens. So, Bitcoin made its protocol, <clears throat> and it was like, this is it. There's only a Bitcoin coin. Bitcoin coin. Oh, well, there's a coin for Bitcoin. That's it. Nothing else. And Ethereum was like, hmm, I see opportunity here to build something up. So they said, okay, we have a protocol and we have Ethereum. You can use our coin, but you can make tokens on our network. So they allowed almost like this open access to their blockchain. And they said, okay, you can build utilities, you can build you know, products, you can build whatever you want. And that's amazing. Because now you're seeing this landscape build up. And you're seeing layers appearing, right? 
technology protocol token. And what that means is it's building its own financial ecosystem. So if you have products that are built on Ethereum, right, these products could be for anything. They can be focused on the blockchain itself and improving that, or they could be focused on, you know, this technology uses the blockchain and, you know, Ethereum protocol to predict the stock market. Or whatever. And if regular companies start using blockchain for their finance, then the blockchain that they're using on will become more expensive. And investing in the coin of that protocol will then increase in price. So you're starting to see this ecosystem evolve. And the reason I think that's compelling is because if you see an ecosystem evolving, that means there is profit to be made, right? These companies, these startups um, that are building just tokens on the Ethereum network, hundreds of millions of dollars, hundreds of millions. What? So clearly there is this early internet feel, you know, early credit card feel where people see value and they're making technology on it like crazy. They're improving here, improving there. Stellar, Ethereum, Bitcoin, Dash, EOS, blah, 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 blah. There's like fast shooting protocols on top of the protocols, they're like, okay, compound. What is compound? Compound is basically you can put any token in the Ethereum network, put it in there as a liquidity pool, and people in the compound that use compound as well can use that liquidity for interest, which pays the you know people hold people um, who submitted their liquidity, and then they can invest that. And they, you know, can, you know, basically do some more high risk stuff with new startups. So you're seeing an ecosystem just within Ethereum where it's like, okay, we're going to train all these things around and there's going to be high interest. So a high interest savings account, maybe two and a half percent. Wells Fargo, fuck Wells Fargo. But the Ethereum network is two to 10% depending on the token and the interest changes on depending on its popularity and its demand for liquidity. So like there is almost like this trimming of the fat improvement on banks. Because now I can use my money as liquidity and there is no middle person. And the middle person, what it is, is code. And the code runs itself, baby. So I don't need to go to a bank to get a loan. I could, well, you still have to go to a bank to get a loan, but, you know, if you have uh, uh, some, you know, collateral, then you can take, you can borrow money. And, you know, it's maybe a little different than, you know, taking out a loan, but it's still like this compelling movement towards that idea. 
right? That someone can give you a loan and they're, and both people are the stakeholders instead of a huge mega company being an intermediary. Because, you know, financial institutions are just liquidity pools and they use, you know, pe the people's money that are in bank accounts and, you know, you know, do stock trading and, you know, long-term bonds, um, you know, higher risk stocks, and they just invest, right? So they're gaining all that money, but on the blockchain and through Ethereum or other networks, you can be the one to put your money and, you know, of course, Compound might take a cut, but you can get all of that revenue that they're making on you, the bank. So, you know, and of course, you know, it's not as safe, and this is just me being excited and thinking of the possibilities, but like, the, you know something is important when rich people start looking at it. And rich people are like, hmm, seems like I can, you know, avoid some taxes here. Right, because if you have, let's say, um, I don't know, 50 bitcoins, and you, you know, let's say the price continues to go up or stabilizes or whatever, then I can get 50 bitcoins, and who's going to tax me? Right, once I move that currency out of the economy onto the blockchain, the blockchain is not regulated. So, Cayman Islands on crack. So you know that if rich people look at it, it's potentially where a part of the future is. So let's talk about some other tokens, right? So I know the token ecosystem of Ethereum the most. Um, you know, on the Ethereum system, there's Uniswap, where you can basically swap Ethereum tokens. And that's, again, a utility in its own ecosystem. Right? So the ecosystem is like, okay, we need a way to swap. And people make code. They're like, here you go. You can swap. And the swapping depends on the different prices of each coin. I'm sorry, each co the coin, Ethereum, or each token. Compound's a token as well. So uh, let's say I want to trade Ethereum for a compound token because I'm like, compound's amazing, and I want to be a part of that and you know, use my compound token as um, a way to gain some interest on my, invest on my you know, money I put in. You can then put, you can then trade, you can then trade on Uniswap and there's others, Bancor, Balancer, and you can swap them. But also what you can do is you can provide Uniswap with liquidity to make those swaps and you get interest on those. So there's all these things where these, you know, they're not companies, right? They're, they don't have employees. They have maybe like 20 employees, but they made code that is open access that is just there. They don't make money off of it, right? The code is just running itself. And there's, you know, the, the um, safeguards are put up by the company and maybe they take some of it, but the governance of that code is, is, you know, voted on by the people who own the compound token. So they control how the code changes. So it's decentralized governance, right? And you can 
say, okay, I want this person to decide for me. I don't want to worry about, you know, making these decisions. And the crazy thing is these tokens, if you go onto their website, let's say compound, the code is one step removed. So you click on GitHub, which is like an app, uh, kind of like a platform people use to code. It takes you right to coding stuff. So it's one degree removed from coding. So it's that early. And that's so not accessible, but I want people to access it because if you access this early on, when it's this, when it's this you know, new, then when the code's five times removed and there's people on people on people and companies on companies and companies, guess what? Those companies eat up all the profit and then you get 1%. But who knows? Who knows how the future of um, crypto will go? Regardless, that opportunity, I just, it's so exciting to me. It's like a rapidly changing, evolving thing. It's like seeing the early internet, right? When I was around, I, you know, was not really around for the early parts of it. And even when it started developing, I was too young to understand what was happening. If I had, though, I would have been like, okay, I'm investing in this. This is, you know, Future is endless. So now that's almost my early internet. I'm like, oh my God, blockchain, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Stellar. These things could become the next global, not even local, global medium of finance. And this might take 20 years, right? This is not tomorrow that's gonna happen. But that is so fascinating. It's just so cool. So the tokens, right, do plenty of things. There's oracles that predict the, you know, the uh, Ethereum, the value that predict Bitcoin value, and people can invest in that and use their service. Um, that's what I'm saying. Like, there's all these utilities popping up that are just for understanding itself. Um and there's you know, other ones that take external data and can put it into the blockchain and you know, um, help understand external market pressures. So there's all this stuff that you can you know, look into. And there's all these different you know, optimizations, additions to the technology of blockchain, iterations of that technology and innovations on it within this ecosystem. So that's what tokens are. So now, you know all you need to know because really what you have to, if you want to look into this, you have to just see, you know, what do I think will be successful and bet on it and see what happens. And that's the high risk, high reward, right? If you see something long-term you think is scalable, you think has utility globally, you think has utility in your own life. Right, Stellar, I think it's so cool because the examples they use is that, you know, let's say you have family in Mexico and you want to send them, you know, a money transfer. Now, let's say you want to send them $20 because they need $20 and, you know, maybe $20 is more money somewhere. Let's say you want to, you know, send it to a country that the dollar is more val valuable and you can just transfer it over and it's like $1,000 where you transfer it, $100, whatever. Now, the, the cut of that would be astronomical especially if you want to do it quickly. But with Stellar, if, you know, they make it more accessible for the everyday person to use, you know, that protocol and its blockchain, then
then I can transfer my dollar into Stellar, whatever the conversion rate at that point is. And then I can send it for 0 0.001 cent to my family in the other country, and they can get that money, withdraw it, and have it in their pocket in their currency. So it, it basically undercuts local inflation. Because if inflation doesn't happen or can't happen on the blockchain, and they can you know, make technology to make sure that doesn't happen, then a country can basically just rely upon a cryptocurrency. And guess what? The government can't do much unless they're going to you know, block their phones or block the app, which they could do. But the power of that is immense. And I, th I, mean, I think it's deeply corruptible, potentially, um, because you know, rich people have their way. And the further removed from the, you know, the code or the foundation you get, the more hands that touch it, the more you know, risk points there are for corruption. Because now you have compound. I can be one who's voting on the, what code gets approved. But as that becomes further and further away from the consumer, the value is going to be leached away by each level removed. But who knows, maybe then you can have another protocol on the blockchain or on a different technology that's similar, that's an innovation, and have it touch less hands, have it be less layers. So really the possibilities are potentially endless. Um, so that's why I want to talk about this, um, empower people. And again, you can like uh, follow me on my Instagram, co-leader and or Twitter. And I have links to Coinbase, which is a trading platform it's like Robinhood. It's pretty accessible. Um, you can connect your like bank or credit or debit card to it and, you know, do those transactions. And I have links, but, you know, if you want to help me out and you want to do, you do want to look into this, shoot me a message and I can give you a link for that. But yeah, so that's, I think, most of what you need to know. You have technology, protocol, token. You have this burgeoning ecosystem with huge possible implications. And mum's the word, who's gonna be the one who succeeds? If any of them will succeed, who knows? Maybe Bitcoin, Ethereum, Stellar, everything on the blockchain will fade into obscurity. But when there's billions of dollars in something, generally, it only gets more valuable. This has been Co-Leader N. And invest wisely, my friends.